Hi everyone, I'm Tanvid Nasir, and this is Leadership Biz Cafe, a podcast that explores some of the challenges and opportunities leaders face in today's increasingly complex, fast-paced, and interconnected global market. Leadership Biz Cafe is brought to you by Tanvid Nasir Leadership, our leadership firm that provides both virtual and in-person leadership keynotes, corporate trainings, and consulting services that will help you to improve the way you lead. To learn more about our services and what some of our clients have had to say about our work, visit our company's website at tavinasir.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out my award-winning internationally acclaimed leadership blog as well. And now, let's meet my guest for this episode, Jake Jacobs. These levers are about shifting the way that we see and understand the world of change. And by doing that, we can systematically approach common problems that people and organizations bump up against when they're trying to create change. So every one of these levers is a remedy to a common problem that people experience when they're trying to bring about organizational change. There's no question the pandemic has led to significant changes in how we work and live. While some of those changes will invariably stick around long after the pandemic is over, The fact is, for many of us, change is still something we have a hard time navigating or dealing with. But is there a way for leaders to drive change in a way that, while impactful, isn't as hard a challenge for their employees to take on? That's what I'll be discussing with my guest for this episode, Jake Jacobs. Without question, Jake is certainly an expert on change, as over the past 35 years, he's worked in industries as wide-ranging as high-tech, manufacturing, and hospitality to help organizations and their teams address dealing with change. Whether that change was company-wide, like culture change, or whether it was more laser-focused in some form of strategy initiative. Jake has also authored five books on the subject, including his latest, Leverage Change, Eight Ways to Achieve Faster, Easier, Better Results, which is what I'll be focusing on in my conversation with Jake. Hi, Jake. Welcome to the Leadership Biz Cafe. Hey, Tender. Very pleased to join you. So, Jake, dealing with or addressing change is something that leaders have had to contend with for many years. And thanks to the pandemic, all leaders have had to deal with a more accelerated pace of change where various issues like offering a flexible work environment, creating robust digital channels and so forth, move from being something nice to have to now being essential if you are to engage, retain, and empower your employees to deliver their best. So before we discuss the eight ways or the eight levers you write about in your book, could you share with our listeners what you mean by leverage change and how it differs from how we typically think of change or even change initiatives? Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's a great first question. So I'm sitting in my uh, home office, and what you can't see behind me is the only piece of artwork I have ever commissioned in my life. Um, It is a chalk drawing, and it is a picture of Archimedes. Now, Archimedes was a third century BC Greek mathematician, and people may be wondering, why are we talking about Greek mathematicians on a podcast like yours and a topic like mine? Well, it's because Archimedes framed the way that leverage worked by saying, give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it and single-handed I shall move the world. So I always knew 25 years ago when I commissioned this, I knew that leverage was really critical to organizational change and that you could get more done with less 
by following this path. And so the whole concept of leverage, and people will be familiar with this in their lives and in their work, it's about getting more done with less. And in most organizations, those are dirty words, right? What that means is we've got headcount reductions, you're gonna get an increase in workload. In the leverage change world that I invite people into, they're not dirty words. What I'm talking about is getting more done with fewer hassles, headaches, and problems. And then also, and this is even like controversial in some circles, is with fewer resources. And this is not about reducing headcount. This is about faster, easier, better results. And so if you're not spinning your wheels as an organization around change, and you're gaining leverage from each action that you're taking related to change, you can take your resources and invest them elsewhere. And you can start gaining winnings earlier. I talk about going to Vegas or wherever you may be going to bet and saying the early winnings that you get that you pull off that table, you could then begin reinvesting sooner as well. So it's like playing with house money. When you get these early wins because you get faster, easier, better results, and then you start reinvesting these early wins, it's no longer your money that you're betting with but it's the gains that you've already made that you get to do that reinvesting with. So for me, leverage is a really central concept in this work, and it is the fundamental premise upon which the book is written. I have to tell you, Jim, I really appreciate your usage of mechanics to create a model to help people rethink their approach to change. And as I mentioned, there are in your book eight levers that are part of what makes up your leverage change model. Now, we don't have time to cover all eight, And yet, as you point out in your book, the way leaders need to think of these levers is that you only use the levers that in that moment will help you get faster, easier and better results. So I think with that in mind, before we focus on a few of these, I think it'd be nice to have just a quick summary of what these eight levers do before we do a deeper dive into a few of them. Sure. I I think fundamentally, Danfer, what they do is they shift people's paradigms. So this is why you can get faster, easier, better results, right? Why you can do this with fewer resources is because these levers are about shifting the way that we see and understand the world of change. And by doing that, we can systematically approach common problems that people and organizations bump up against when they're trying to create change. So every one of these levers is a remedy to a common problem that people experience when they're trying to bring about organizational change. And the other thing about these levers is they're super flexible. So you can apply them at the individual level. If you're a leader and you're looking, I mean, you can even do it looking at your afternoon schedule and say, do I want faster, easier, better results? You can pull some of these levers out and apply them, put them to work and let them work for you. They work with teams. If you have teams that are in conflict with each other, I've used these levers to address that. Even with organization-wide change efforts, culture change or mergers and acquisitions, very large system-wide efforts, the levers work as well there. And I I, I must admit, I had a uh, podcaster ask me and said, well, you you said that you could use these on anything. And I said, yes, that's true. He said, you said that you, and I was wondering where he was going with this, right? You know, sort of like kind of um, uh, being in a courtroom and getting cross-examined. And he said, you said that it would be about faster, easier results. They said, yes. He said, 
why can't I use these in my life? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, if I'm having trouble with my spouse or my teenage child or anybody that is in my life or family, why couldn't I use it for them too? And I said, well, you can. And he said, well, I think you may have another book in Chicken Soup for the Leveraged Soul coming out. And I laughed at him and I said, well, yes, I think that you can use these in any of those situations because at the end of the day, faster, easier, better results are like, you know, a holy grail. People are like, I've had people say to me, well, you can only get two out of three of those. You know, do you want faster and better, but it's not going to be easier or faster and easier. It's not going to be better. They go through these combinations and I say, look, I can only tell you from my experience working in organizations for 35 years that not only can you get all three of these, but you deserve to get all three of these when you undertake change work. You know, I have to be honest, I could see the point of the other podcaster, but I'm not going to put you on the spotlight to demonstrate that because that's not really the focus of this podcast, but I could see their point. In fact, as I was reading about these eight levers, there were a few that stood out to me as levers that I want to talk to you about as they reflected on issues I've been discussing with leaders in various industries as they try to navigate a way forward with everything seeming in flux at the moment. And the first one I wanted to talk with you, Jake, is the lever pay attention to continuity, and in particular, this idea of paradoxical change. And there's an interesting point you make here where you write how we need to move beyond that mindset of, do we maintain continuity or do we instead focus on change and recognize that that's what's needed? And instead of a firm planting in both where we keep our sights on maintaining continuity while looking down that chosen path for change. And one of the reasons why this lever resonated with me is because of its paradoxical nature, where on the surface, it could seem like you're just pulling from opposite directions and consequently, you won't be making any progress on either front. So how does this lever help leaders and their organizations to be more successful in achieving their goals, Jake? Yeah, and and I I think this is a great one because the problem that it deals with is an over-focus on change. And so if you look at the world of change, whether it's from a leadership standpoint, a scholarly standpoint, you know, popular books that are out there, logically, they deal with change. They talk about change. They look at change. They try and figure out how to make change. And and that's all well and good. And it is one side of the coin, in my view, in a leverage change view, because what we're saying with pay attention to continuity, when you bring about change, what happens? People get anxious, they get frustrated, uh, they start pointing fingers, um, they, they feel like they're under the gun for one reason or another. Am I even capable? Am I going to be around when this change is done? So these are all the kind of questions that run through people's minds when they're talking about change. When we talk about continuity, or what I say, talking about what not to change, then we have confidence, clarity, conviction. These are all the things that help prop us up. So while we're focused on change, we can become overwhelmed by that. But when we supplement that, right? So I'm not saying don't pay attention to change, right? That would be silly. But the typical response that organizations have, one, they either can choose to do less change, right? Make make less changes. And that, that alleviates the problem But it creates another one because these changes in almost every case are needed by the organization to remain competitive. So taking change away is not a good answer. The other solution 
which is the more popular one, is push harder, right? So want of a better word, it's kind of like shoving change down the organization's throat and saying, you know, buck up, let's get this done. You know, if you really cared, if you were tough enough, if, if it mattered to you, if you were committed enough. And, and so people get overwhelmed. Well, there's another alternative, which is when we start paying attention to continuity, we can deal with more change. And that's where the paradoxical approach comes in, because I'm not talking about finding some happy medium. I'm not talking about, well, concessions. You know, I'll give up a little on the changes that we're making if you let go of a little bit of continuity. And eventually we negotiate to a place in the center which nobody wins. What I'm arguing for is radical change requires radical continuity. And so what you find is firm ground to stand on when you're dealing with continuity, it gives you the confidence to take a leap into the unknown world of change. So these really work in concert with each other. And it's a conversation that, you know, like practically, how does this show up? I've had leaders make lists of all the things that they need to change in their organization. And you can see as they make these lists, they, they slump down in their chairs, their voices get quieter, they slower. I mean, people get depressed because it's overwhelming. But then I say, now let's make a list of those things that we're gonna continue as long as we can. And let's make this list twice as long. And in making that list, people sit up, their voices get raised, they, they start to lean forward, they start to feel like they've got some sense of control over their organization and what they're doing. So this whole notion of continuity, I think is critical to the world of change. And when you send a memo out, I had a leader who got this in their gut and they started to use continuity Every conversation they had, they asked, okay, what are we going to keep doing that's working? What do we need to do differently? All the meetings they had had this as an agenda item. All of the work that they did, town hall meetings, they brought up continuity. And what they found was the organization was way more responsive and inviting into the world of change because they had focused on continuity. And that's where the paradox lands because you see something that at surface appears to makes no sense at all, right? And then you dig a bit deeper and it actually be the, it is the key to moving forward in a positive and productive way. So Jay, given the paradoxical nature of this particular lever, how can leaders know they're employing it right? What markers or signposts should they be on the lookout for to know they're headed in the right direction and balancing what worked in the past and maintaining that continuity with what needs to change in order to meet those future needs? Yeah, so I, I think there's two very clear ways that they can do this because one of the benefits, Tanver, of these um, levers is that at face value, they make a lot of sense to people. So one thing they can do is be their own quality control check. So as they're moving through their day, and I, you know, I had a leader once who wrote down on a piece of paper and put it in front of himself at meetings and just wrote the word continuity and said, as we move through the meeting, how much of the time are we spending on our change agenda and how much are we spending on our continuity agenda? And let's make sure <clears throat> that we give equal weight to each of those conversations. So they can be their own quality control check like this leader was to be able to say, hey, let me make sure that I'm taking care of business on both of these poles or um, of a polarity or a paradox. 
The other way they can do it is they can invite people in their organization to give them feedback and genuinely give them feedback. Because if the organization is choking on the amount of change, people know it. Now, in a lot of cases, they say, well, it's not safe to tell the leader. The leader's got a change agenda. You know, I don't want to get in the way. I don't want a career limiting move to be my feedback to the leader. But a leader needs to invite people to say, am I doing this? This is my intention. This is what I believe is going to make a difference in our future. And so if that's true, then you're going to be my best friend. And they need to welcome when people are saying, I think we're getting out of whack here in terms of how much we're paying attention to change and how much we're paying attention to continuity. And then they can build in systems and processes so that when somebody comes in for a project review, there's a set of questions that they go through to assess how well that project's moving forward. Some of those questions have to do with continuity. And then it's almost like you, you have it on autopilot. You can just go through your project updates and if you've got that systematically included in those questions, you don't have to worry about taking care of business. Business is taken care of for you. One of the reasons why I wanted to discuss this lever first with you, Jake, is because I've seen with many leaders I've worked with over the past 18 months, this shared frustration of wanting to change how their organization operates in order to respond to the current evolving landscape. And while some departments are on board for the ride, Others are holding steadfast to wanting to keep things the way they were pre-pandemic, even though these departments have experienced unexpected gains thanks to those adaptations. But I think this particular lever shines a spotlight on a key point, which is, as we look to change and evolve, we also need to honor the journey we've taken by seeing what insights, what lessons, what skills and processes helped us to get here and can continue to serve us as we now move in this new direction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I believe organizations are living systems. What that translates to is that every organization has its own DNA, right? I mean, they have patterns and, and patterns of success and patterns of failure in the back in the past. And so when I come in as a change practitioner, one of the early questions I ask is about, what of past change efforts and how they've been done do we need to continue going forward in the future? Because there are certain things that'll work in one organization and they won't get you off the ground in another one. But people in those organizations know what leads to success and failure in their own system. So tapping that collective wisdom that's in an organization to be able to just say, wait a minute, we have changed in the past. And we've changed successfully in a lot of ways in the past. Now, some of them have been problem areas and we've fallen short of the mark, but it's just as important to know where we haven't succeeded, where we need to let go of continuity as it is to where we have succeeded and we need to hold on to it going forward. So Jake, I'd like to move on to the next lever in your leverage change model. But before we do, here's a message from our sponsor. If you're looking to build a profitable side hustle that also impacts people, then you need to look at becoming a certified leadership coach with Giant. If you don't already know, Giant has been in the leadership space for over 13 years. They used to own and operate the John Maxwell brands. They ran the LeaderCast conferences where Jim Collins, Henry Cloud, Malcolm Gladwell, and Simon Sinek were regular speakers and a lot more. 
They have over 500 coaches working in over 127 countries, and their coaches are being hired by companies like Pfizer, Chick-fil-A, Delta, and more. And yes, you can do this too. Giant literally gives you everything you need to start your own leadership coaching business from scratch. You get hands-on free training from top-level coaches to learn the exact methodology and tools that six-figure coaches are using. An all-in-one online platform to run your entire coaching business, even if you want to work 100% remotely. And you'll get to join a thriving community of coaches from around the world. To get started, Giant is hosting a coaching business workshop to help you learn the ins and outs of how to build a successful coaching business, even if you're just starting out. This workshop is 100% free and you can reserve your spot by going to giant.tv slash Tanvir. If you're ready to impact people and get paid to do it, go to giant.tv slash Tanvir. So Jake, we've touched a little bit on the next lever in your leverage change model that I wanted to talk with you about, and it's the lever you call start with impact, follow the energy. So just as we saw with the previous lever, this one is about recognizing that while there are times where driving change has to come from the decision makers, there are nonetheless times where we need to allow change to be driven by those in the middle or even those at the front lines. And there's a question you share in this chapter that really helps to clarify this lever. And that is the question, how can I most effectively get to where I need to go? Now, One of the advantages leaders gain from employing this lever is that you end up working with employees or a team that's more energized and engaged in the work and in the goal, something that's obviously becoming a key point of concern for leaders as we see many employees either leaving or planning to leave their current employer to work elsewhere. So how do leaders go about using this lever, Jake? What are the signposts they need to be on the lookout to take a step back from being the driver of change to the enabler of that change being directed by others in their organization? Yeah, so on, on this one, what this deals with is the, the issue of um, change needs to begin at the top. And if you pick up any book on change and you listen to any, any podcast practically, on change, they will tell you, well, you need to have senior leader support. And yet in the reality in which I work in organizations, that's not always the case. So start with impact says, where can you make the biggest difference? And where you can make the biggest difference is where people are gonna pay attention to the work that you're doing. Now, sometimes, as you said, that could be in the middle of the organization, it could be on the front lines, it could be in the senior leader suite. But the question is, where can we make an impact? That's a different question than rotely beginning at the top because that's what the books say you need to do. So when you start with impact and then follow the energy, and I, I want to point out that energy can be positive or negative, right? Apathy is the opposite of positive energy. That if you have people who are resisting or seemingly get called resistors of change, that that may be the energy that you need to follow because I subscribe to a belief and I wrote another book called, You Don't Have to Do It Alone, How to Involve Others to Get Things Done. We had a special section in that book on resistance. And we said, listen, resistance is in the eye of the beholder. So if I have you be someone who resists change, 
then that's how I see you. And you will tend to behave consistent with that. But if I see you as somebody who sees the world differently than I do, that covers my backside because you're paying attention to things that I don't value or I don't notice. But you say, listen, you're a valuable contributor at a strategic level to the information base we've got available to ourselves. You will tend to behave as an MVP of the team. So this whole notion of start with impact, follow the energy, it's about being smart and strategic about the actions you're taking. And it also says that you've got to go with your gut a little bit. This is not about a formulaic response that says, well, you know, if A, then B. No, no, if A, let's step back. Let's think together about what's going to make the most sense. Where are we going to get the biggest impact? And then let's test B. And let's see what we can learn from B before we take C on. So rather than having these fixed plans that we march through regardless of the impact we're having, this is saying, no, no, take it step by step. I talk about from my manufacturing days and learning about rapid prototyping, right? And being able to take small steps and quick, short learning loops to be able to say, well, what was the impact of that? What did we learn? What do we need to do next? And the you know, shortest distance between two points is a straight line. But if you take that to a sailboat analogy, that means a lot of tacking. It means going a little distance, not betting the farm and saying, well, this is our path, and then finding out that you're way off the mark. This is about checking every day and in every way, are we headed towards the goal? And if we are, that's good news. If we're not, then we need to adapt and make changes so that we get back on track. So, Jake, as I mentioned at the start, there's no way we can get through all eight levers you discussed in your book. But I do want to talk with you about one last one here, and that is the lever make change work part of daily work. I think we can all agree, especially from our own experiences, how the biggest issue most people have with any kind of change initiative is that it's often presented as work we need to do on top of whatever tasks or goals were assigned to us. So it's only natural that people resist it, not because they don't see the value in it, but because it's just seen as being given more responsibilities and more work they're accountable for. But with this lever, we're transforming this from change being more work to change being the work your employees are doing each day. So as you point out, this isn't meant to replace more formal change initiatives. Rather, it's about changing mindsets and behaviors to promote and drive change in the work your employees do every day. So, Jake, how do leaders facilitate the shift by using this lever in making change the daily work? Yeah, so let me, let me give an example. There was a leader that I worked with, and her team, you know, they they were not performing as a high-performing team. Let's just leave it at that. They were having issues with conflict and there was some infighting and there were arguments over resources, where they were getting allocated and so forth. And I said to them, I said, look, how can we take advantage of the time that you have already allocated to your team and the meetings that you have and putting no more time or resources in How did you improve the performance of your team? Because in most cases, people themselves, I believe, have answers to their own issues, right? If we ask them, we listen to them, and we act on them, and they said, well, we we could do some team building in our regular staff meetings. They met once a week. And I said, okay, well, let's take half an hour out of that staff meeting, and let's have it be about further strengthening your team. 
So they started to work through the issues that they had one by one. And they, they started out by saying, okay, what's, you know, what is our current situation? What is reality? And actually got everybody to go around the table and say, this is what I think it is. And in that, they spent half an hour just in that first conversation. Now, they didn't dig deeply into it, but they got a list of things that they were then able to pursue in the next meeting and then in the next meeting, and then in the next meeting. And so they came up with requests and offers, and these became part of the way they did business. So they didn't add any time, they didn't go off-site, they didn't take any special uh, privileges to be able to work on their issues, but what they did is that they implemented a different way of communicating with each other. And rather than, you know, an I think you think debate, which is what I call these conflicts where there's never ending uh, cycle of arguing. And they said, no, let's boil this down to requests and offers. And I can ask you, Tanvir, you know, can you do this for me? And this is what I can do in return to support you and being able to meet that need. And then we can have a conversation about that. And then other members of the team can chime in and say, well, look, I know that you can't do this, but count on me. I can deliver these goods. And now we have a three-way agreement around a contract for improving performance. So just the very nature of changing the conversation, not adding any time to their meetings, not having these offsites, but being able to change work as part of their daily work and then change the dynamics of their team, which they did radically, because making a clean request, now I'm not, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm not gonna push any buttons. You're not going to get upset at me about something that happened two years ago between us when I make a simple request and I say, you know, could you get these numbers to me a week earlier? Well, I can't get them a week earlier, but I could probably get them to you 10 days earlier. But if I got these numbers from the production floor a little bit sooner, I might be able to make that week deadline that you're asking for. And then we go and we talk to the manufacturing head who's sitting at the table and we say, look, is that possible? So you start to get a chain reaction of teamwork that occurs in this very same meeting that they used to use where there was a bunch of complaining and arguing. Now we've got collaboration and connection. So to wrap up our conversation here, Jake, I'd like to take a step back to a more broad view of all eight levers found in your leverage change model. As you write in your book, when to use which lever depends on what needs or issues your organization is currently facing. And while the levers we talked about here were the ones that piqued my interest, I imagine some of the other levers we didn't discuss might be of interest to some of my listeners. So what's the best way for leaders to get started in using whichever lever resonates with most of them? And perhaps more importantly, how do they evaluate which ones to prioritize first in getting that momentum going? Right. So the, the first uh, great piece of advice I have for your listeners, Tanvir, is go out and get the book, uh, read it and apply it. But that that's a little self-serving. So I'm going to make an offer to your listeners to say, for free, you can go to my website and download this ebook. And what I did in the ebook is that I came up with three or four ideas, immediate action ideas. So the, the ebook is called 27 ways to achieve faster, easier, better results immediately. And so in that, there's three or four ideas per lever that you can take and put to work for you straight away. Set the book down and go. So here's one example. 
if you find somebody or a group of people who's resisting the work that you're doing, then you got to assume there's a good reason, right? People are not out there to get you. So there's a good reason, but the problem is you don't know what it is. So if you go with an open mind and you say to those people, can you help me understand? I say there's four magic words in the book. Could you say more? And so if you go to that group and you say, could you tell me what the issue is in your own words so I better understand it? And then once you understand it, step back and say, okay, how can we tackle this together? How can we collaborate in a way that's gonna resolve this issue in a way that's gonna work for you and work for me? And in taking that very conversation, you can do that as soon as you put the book down. As soon as you put that ebook down, go to work on collaborating. Now, there's 26 other ideas in this ebook that are just that straightforward, that you can go and make a difference immediately. And if you go to my website, it's jakejacobsconsulting.com, you can download that ebook for free and put it to work. And then, after you've proven it's worth to you, then you can go ahead, invest in the book itself, and that'll take you deeper into each of the levers. Jake, I want to thank you for sharing an interesting and unique take on how to understand and approach change. As I said at the start of our conversation, I really appreciate how you use the physics behind how levers work to help illustrate how making these subtle transformations can create a real and tangible difference in helping our organization to achieve its goals. Thank you so much for having me. And I, uh, you know, I believe in this. I've seen it work for 35 years in organizations of all types around the world. And so the more that can benefit from this, the better. So thanks so much for the opportunity. As I mentioned, Jake and I only covered a handful of the eight levers of change he writes about in his book. So if you'd like to learn more about those levers we didn't get a chance to talk about, as well as to get that link to the free ebook Jake mentioned, check out the show notes for this episode, which you can find a link to on our podcast page at tavernasseer.com slash LBC. And if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to share it with your colleagues and employees, you can also share that link to our podcast page as you can listen to our latest episodes through the embedded media player, as well as find links to subscribe to my podcast on all the major streaming platforms for podcasts. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review my leadership podcast on your preferred podcast platform to help support our podcast and encourage others to check us out. Now, if you've been enjoying the insights I've been sharing here on my podcast and would be interested in having me share them with your team and organization, either through a leadership workshop or in a keynote at an upcoming event, whether that's in person or virtual, I'd like to invite you to fill out the contact form on our website at tavernasseer.com so we can start that discussion. You can also check out the speaking page and workshop page on our company website to learn more about my speaking services and the kinds of topics I cover. And with that, I'm Tavi Nasir, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe.